I love therapy, and in fact, I've been going to therapy since I was around six years old. Though I talk about therapy a lot and may interview some therapists on the show on occasion, nothing that is said in this podcast should be considered a replacement for therapy. If you are struggling, I urge you to please seek guidance from a therapist because you are absolutely worth it. Everyone, you are listening to Wine, Dine, and 69, a podcast about dating, relationships, sex, and self-love. I am your host, Rachel Dalton. I'm coming at you curled up in my bed with my heated blanket. I just spent some time in the hot tub in my building and then in a hot shower. It is fucking freezing cold where I am anyway, um, and I'm really over it, so I'm going to bed at 10 30 <laughs> these days just wanting to be in bed and warm and you know I also I started my new job last week and so um I've just been learning new things is just exhausting I mean it's it's incredible I I'm loving it so far but it's exhausting so it's just that that time of year where you're just always cold and tired and just curling up in bed seems nice so I mean and also who am I kidding I record many podcasts from bed if I'm being honest with you. But this is a podcast about like sex and relationships. So somehow this all feels very appropriate. I don't know why I'm trying to justify this to you or to myself. Anyway, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope you're staying warm. I hope you're staying healthy um, wherever you are. I wanted to take a quick second to talk about, to circle on back, I guess, to last week's episode where uh, we talked about sexual myths. I guess technically it was two weeks ago, right? Uh, But blue balls came up as a thing because as I mentioned in the episode, I had always, you know, been told that blue balls was a thing and a very excruciating thing at that. And uh, it wasn't until last year when I was speaking with um, two guys and they just were like, yeah, that's not really a thing. It's It's a tactic that men use to manipulate women into you know, helping them finish, finishing the job or whatever. And I was blown away, pun intended, um, because I don't know, it just, it always seemed like such an intense thing that the men in my life who I've witnessed experience it seemed to be experiencing it. It seemed agonizing. Um, And so that's what made me start wondering if it really was something that was blown out of proportion. These jokes are just there, aren't they? Um, Or if it was something that, you know, maybe only a a select amount of people experience. So, of course, I went to TikTok because that's where you go these days. And uh, I'm very happy on TikTok. I, I really, really was trying to go against it. But here we are. And uh, I love TikTok. So, perfect. Here we go. Anyway, uh, yeah, so I posted asking about it and uh, got a lot of responses. I think only one person said that it was a manipulative tactic. And then everybody else who commented said it was absolutely real and extremely painful and, you know, gave me various scenarios when they had experienced it. Really, actually very fascinating. And I, I just posted another TikTok kind of following up on my findings. Um, and I mean, I guess like 
humans aren't a monolith. People who have penises are a monolith. Like maybe the two guys that I spoke to have never experienced it. And that's fine. That's that's them, right? But that doesn't mean that other people haven't experienced it. And it seems too that some people might experience it in puberty and then it goes away. Some people experience it later in life, um, all the way through their life. Some people, it's really intense and excruciating. Others, you know, described it as a slight discomfort. Um, so yeah, it, it seems like it really, it all depends. Um, go figure, right? But it was really fascinating to kind of have that conversation and get get that feedback because you know I'll never experience it I'll never get a sense of what that's like um you know I I can't imagine um and it also kind of got me thinking about how the concept of blue balls and women gatekeeping sex has been played out in popular culture and like the sitcoms and in the the movies that we watch and I think that that has to do that has a lot to do with what my perceived my perceived belief or my impression, I guess, my, my perception, that's what it is, Rachel. I think that's to do a lot with what my perception um, of blue balls was. So yeah, I, I think, yeah, some guys maybe do use it as a manipulative technique to get girls to finish the job um, or to get anyone to finish the job. Let's be inclusive. And some people probably genuinely are just experiencing really intense pain. And I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. The good news is I did some research on it and there are no long-term dangers associated with it. So there'll be discomfort or pain for a period of time, but uh, it goes away and there's no long-lasting effects. So very interesting. Um, Love TikTok and I love the things that you learn from TikTok. Go figure. Uh, Today, I sit down with Rick. We talk about personal catalysts in the form of art and also in the form of ketamine infusions. Um, Rick was in healthcare and kind of experienced a series of events that led to an intense period of time, which then led to a period of self-discovery and art and these uh, ketamine infusions helped along the way and so we talk about that and I do want to say it might go without saying based on that but uh what I just described but a little just content warning for this episode we do talk about depression um we do talk about you know difficult feelings um so you know just sensitive listeners be aware that there are some moments in here where uh you know we just we just touch on some some darker topics so just a heads up there um, <laughs> I also say, and I think this episode, which was reco- recorded in uh, early 2021, I said, I think we're rounding the corner with all of this COVID stuff. And uh, ooh, joke's on me. That was way before Delta, way before Omicron. And um, yeah, it's hard to believe that we're entering the third year of this, but we are. And I guess that leads me to my final point, tying it all together very nicely um, with, you know, Rick and what his line of work was and COVID and also bring it into healthcare. Um, if you know a healthcare worker, tell them that you appreciate them. They are so fucking exhausted. My best friend works in a hospital and she got her wisdom teeth taken out and then was back two days later doing her job in the hospital. 
Um, it's insane. And people are getting sick and being told that they still have to go to work. I mean, in the beginning, you had these healthcare workers who were appreciated. You know, whenever there was a shift change, people would honk their horns or bang pots and pans to let the healthcare workers know that they were appreciated. But that stopped. You know, healthcare workers have been asking, begging, pleading people to wear masks. And um, so many of them have quit because they're just completely burned out. And, you know, they're having lasting mental health issues as a result. And this um, kind of really hit me. I mean, you know, obviously I, I have my best friend and I have some family members who are in the medical field. But um, I went and I got COVID tested when I was back home just a couple of days after Christmas. And I went and I signed in and then they led me back to the space. It was very efficient. Um, and the nurse swabbed my nose very quick. And I said, thank you so much. And she like did a double take and looked back at me and said, thank you for thanking me. We don't get that very much anymore. And that made me incredibly sad um, because these people are working so hard to protect us and they're exhausted. They're putting themselves at risk. They're putting their families at risk. And uh, yeah, I just think we did a really good job of appreciating healthcare workers early on. And I think it's time to bring some of that appreciation back. So um, let the healthcare workers in your life know that you appreciate them. Ask them if you can do something for them. Maybe order them a pizza so it gets delivered right when they get off of a shift or something. I don't know. All right. Uh, I guess we're going to jump right into the episode then. Um going to talk to Rick today about, again, personal catalysts in the form of art and ketamine infusions. And uh, yeah, exciting things coming up here um, on the pod this year, doing some more interviews. And I'm just really excited. So follow on TikTok. If you have any questions or things that you want me to cover, email at winedineatallportsopen.com. And I'm going to cut to a commercial break really quickly. And then please enjoy my conversation with Rick. Ah. Ah, what is it, honey? It's that darn ghost again. He just won't leave us alone. I guess we're just going to have to move. No, wait. Don't worry. We're not moving. He is. Who are you going to call? Blockbusters. Actually, we know nothing about catching ghosts other than what we saw in that old cartoon. But if you want a podcast where we talk about film, TV, random tangents that leave you wondering what the hell was that all about, and the occasional nugget of wisdom, then we're the ones for you. And if you act now, you can listen to our entire back catalogue for free. Did you say free? Yes, I did. So go now to your nearest podcatching device, shake off the ectoplasm, and download us today. Warning, listening to blockbusters can lead to stomach cramps from laughing, headaches from attempting to remember what tangent they went on this time, and a worn-out section of your device's screen slash keyboard as you smash the replay button over and over until the next episode arrives. If your blockbusters episode lasts longer than four hours, tell your doctor so he can listen as well. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I am here today with one of our storytellers, Rick. How are you doing today, Rick? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm I'm doing well. It's uh it feels like things are finally starting to round the corner when it comes to the the COVID stuff. So not too bad. <laughs> Hanging in there. Yeah, absolutely. I think um I've just tried to keep my head down as best as possible and you know, work on the uh the network around me, so to speak. And Exactly. Yep. 
What if we start off, you just tell me a little bit about who you are and uh, you know what your personal journey has looked like. Absolutely. I, first, I would like to just say thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be on your show and to share a part of my story because I think course. that it's I think it's something that is it's very important to me and I think that there are a lot of lessons that can be learned just not from you know just not on a personal level but by sharing it to help other people who might be at a different stage or you know struggling with some of the same things to see somebody Absolutely. else being able to not only you know conquer their issues or their you know the things that have been kind of holding on to them, but to thrive and, and become successful, not in spite of them, but because of them and using mm -hmm. and putting them out front to help, you know, boost or boast your success. So, and that's just mainly what I've been focusing on a lot lately. I'm just recently kind of transition. I was a paramedic for six years and then an EMT for another six years before that. So my entire adult life was spent working on an ambulance, which left me with a lot of kind of very traumatic experiences and emotions that were never really dealt with. Mm -hmm. And in 2019, I broke both of my legs in a skateboarding accident, which... Basically, caused my caused me to have to retire from EMS. I was just not going to be able to do it anymore. My legs didn't mm -hmm. heal all the way back, and it wasn't going to be fair to the patients that I was going to be treating, and it wasn't going to be fair to me continuing to push my body past, you know, the breaking point, so to speak. I guess. Right. Yeah. Um. So. That kind of taking essentially my identity away from me and putting me in a role as a father, which I have a lot of traumatic issues and experiences from uh, childhood involving my father and growing up. So that led to a quick deterioration of my mental health and add that in with the pandemic and everything else, I got to a point where I no longer felt safe. I never, I didn't, I didn't like, I couldn't, I needed somebody to help me because I didn't like, I, if I could have just, just ceased to exist at that moment, I, I would have just ceased to exist because I had no, I couldn't see where I needed to go. So I started to look into some kind of inpatient treatment, some sort of specialized treatment for PTSD and okay. and the symptoms of that. And I found, for some reason, I'm a big nerd when it comes to things <laughs> that I'm into. So uh, I researched a lot just on my own free time out of my own, you know, curiosity and I, at one point I had must have read something about ketamine as a treatment for PTSD because I had, had that thought 
And whenever I searched it, I found a ketamine infusion center about 30 minutes from my house. Hmm. And I guess the rest is just history, I guess, because I went there, got on a regimen of ketamine, which is the first six treatments have to be done within um, three weeks. And for because the the clinic that I go to follows the actual like the study requirements, like whenever they did the study, they do that exact treatment regimen. Sure. So it's six infusions over three weeks. And then after that, you have to get maintenance doses every so often. And that's just basically determined by the individual. Okay. Yeah. How frequently do those happen? Um, well, for me, I do them every month. I've got actually one coming up here in, I think, the next week. Okay. So, um, but they're expensive, I think. Um, so one of the boosters, and it like it's geographically kind of dependent too. So sure. It's going to be more... Yeah, you're lucky that there's one close by. Yeah, I'm just lucky there's one close by. And then I've also looked up a few other cities and sent out information to other first responders that I know or that I that I talk to. So I do a lot of kind of information spreading too as well. Yeah, like I'm, preaching, preaching the word. <laughs> right. So after my first treatment, my life changed. I, I took about a four-hour nap and then... I woke up and everything was different. I everything felt so unbelievably raw. Just existence. Like I'm trying to think. So imagine like you know how when it's really really cold out and the wind on your bare skin. Yes. Like that it just imagine that sort of kind of rawness. And that's just How the it, nerves are like over yes. sensitive. Yeah. Yes. And like my emotional, you know, system was just completely exposed and my mind was quiet. Cause I went outside to go smoke a cigarette and I remember hearing the birds and I was like, what the fuck <laughs> is that? <laughs> and then it's like you were it, hearing it for the first time. Yeah, it was like, and I just remember, I was like, my God, I love the sound of these birds. Like, <laughs> where have they been? And it's just, and then like, I could just hear my own thought echoing in my empty mind because it's, there's nothing else that is being crammed in there by my insecurities, my anxieties, anything. Like, it's all silent. And it was, yeah, I, Oh my, there's no words to describe it. And that was the moment that I was like, this is my mission now. I like, I can't continue to help people through being on an ambulance, but that doesn't mean that I cannot continue to help people. This time right. though, I can help the people that work on the ambulances, like the community that I was a part of now that... I have found, you know, my hope, my relief 
now it was time to preach it. <laughs> you know, that was the sure the the idea that that I got into. So I got really really into trying to to work that out. And that was one of the first projects that I had started working on that's still on the back burner but kind of had to take a back seat due to the the increasing success with my art. But I was working on a foundation called Ketamine which mm, okay. is a foundation that I'm starting to help first responders um, to inform them and to help them afford their ketamine treatments. So it's okay. it's going to be it's it's a nonprofit that is it's in the works, but I don't. <laughs> I'm one person, so I'm trying to figure out you know what's the best the best path to take is to get a bigger platform to share more information, but it's, I mean, it's still there and it's going to be, eventually it'll, it'll take center stage, but right now. Yeah. I, I know that, that game of <laughs> yeah that. Well, you, uh, I guess that's something that we don't really think about a ton. Like we think about PTSD in terms of veterans and uh, like abuse victims, but it's, it strikes me that, like, why wouldn't we think of first responders, emergency responders? I mean, you see some horrific things. Oh, yeah. Like, so, of course, you know, there would be things that would keep you up at night or things that you have a hard time kind of recovering from. So um, it's that's so cool that you've, like, found that niche that really could use, you know, this this treatment. And And that's the thing is it's a running joke with a lot of EMS, especially like primarily EMS related. We talk about how we're never thought of, or we're, you know, we're always forgotten when it comes to things like that, because there mm -hmm. are a lot of um, programs like police officers are very out in front in the spotlight with um, mental health and, and sure. internally. So do fire departments and, and all that. It seems like EMS is still kind of the, scattered to the wind not really hmm. there's no universal kind of procedures or anything like that and a lot of people get lost in the system like that yeah and i know uh there's a friend of mine that has a wonderful nonprofit that she's doing called code i'm gonna get it wrong but it's called em uh, code peer ems support group and okay. it is a it is a primarily ems focused nonprofit for their, you know, mental health of EMTs and paramedics. So that's, they are, they're doing really, really good stuff. Um, yeah, that's incredible. So there's, there's a lot of different things starting to sprout up and it's starting to become more of a topic that is being discussed. And, and that's what, that's where I want to be at. I want to be on the front lines of, of this for those that can't anymore. Like, it's not just something that I see as a way to, you know, find self-worth, but mm -hmm. for me to share my story and be the the ambassador to say, like, hey, guys, like, stop stop being so dumb about it like talk about it it's okay 
because there's a there's a stigma uh about it it's a lot of first responders and i'm only speaking solely based on the the ones that i know in myself that sure have or the ones that have expressed to me that the culture has really made it hard for them to open up and to talk about how they feel or like to say to to even admit to somebody like yo that run that we just did that fucked me up like i need to talk to somebody about it yeah instead the they're like they feel that they have to internalize that because it's going to make them look like less of a provider or Mm -hmm. it's going to they're going to get you know they won't get promoted or whatever you know whatever they're their personal reasons for it is, but it's always been kind of supported by the culture of, of EMS. And that's what I really want to start chipping away at is trying to end that. Yeah. It's, it's hard to be the one who's always strong. Like it's hard to be the one who's always strong. It's hard to be the one who is seen as the giver. Um, But the people who give the most also, you know, need to be supported at the same time. So I think that's really awesome that there's this new kind of initiative to put focus to that because we need to protect the people that protect us. Absolutely. I think that it's it's one of those things that will forever be near and dear to me and something that the, the that internal fire for is it will never go out. Right. Well, talk to me about, so you said you, you know, started, you decided to seek help. Uh, You went to therapy? Um, Well, I did start, I did start therapy, but it was um, probably August or so I had started therapy, but it was teletherapy and I was real not, real not into that. It was basically me paying a guy $65 to listen to me self-diagnose and then go mm-hmm, i think i think that's about right <laughs> it's like oh well okay. yeah yeah sometimes it takes work to find to find the right therapist i i've definitely had similar experiences with with some therapists um gotta find the right match for sure yeah well did you learn anything from therapy even i find that sometimes when i just like process out loud like verbally uh it allows me to kind of come to realizations I actually just did that today with uh career coach that I've been working with uh yeah I I would say that I guess yeah just having somebody to be that actually knows the ins and outs of Mm -hmm. therapy and the little nuances about the profession that I don't know sure kind of confirm that I'm you know I'm pretty close to how I see myself and what I see my issues are. So that I think that helped out a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you think that you're crazy and then it helps to know that. Oh no. Okay. My, my view is, is spot on. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I think that the biggest thing I think though, that the ketamine did for me was, I think it was clean the slate so to speak control alt sure. delete to tabula rasa yeah that 
just completely reset my my interface that I register the world with, and it is it is led to just the most unbelievable things. Yeah, talk to me about that. So, what do what are the infusions like? Is it um like you know you get you know my mom my mom's a cancer patient and I know that uh some of the people that she knows she doesn't have a port but I know that some people do. Is it like a shot that you get? Um, like tell me how how that works and like the science behind it. I guess. <laughs> um. So, the way that it goes is I show up at the clinic and I go to my private room. In they have what they call a medical recliner, but it's just like, like a like a recliner that you would sleep in if you're at the hospital staying. Okay, sure. It's just like one of those. It's not uncomfortable, but it's not super comfortable. And then they have a CBD infuser in the room. That's going. Oh, okay. It's and some people like they have a laser light show, but I I usually oh. opt I opt for. Um, deprivation rather than sensation. So wait, that's just to like chill you out, I guess? Yeah, I mean, it's just for you to focus on while, you know, being infused. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's fascinating. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, like, I would imagine this is how maybe opium dens in the 18th, like, in the... (laughs) The turn of the century would op- would have operated, except you know, without the the laser light show, maybe they'd have like some kind of burlesque. <laughs> probably, dance, but... uh, I was gonna say probably uh, sex workers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It would be it would have been a hooker. <laughs> or Definitely. I don't know if that's. I'd... It would have been politically correct at the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Like I don't know. Like no worries. Yeah, burlesque dancer I think is is also appropriate. So yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well. Okay, so uh, like yeah, so they, so it it does involve uh, an IV. So they will start an IV on you. Okay, and then they, you have a, a, a individual like a specific kind con- or dose or concentration for you that is based off of your weight, which is usually they do between point um, five and one milligram per kilogram. Okay, that's yeah, I can do the quick I, I can do the quick math in my head because that's <laughs> basically you know that's what I've been doing. But yeah, definitely. Um, so my uh, I'm at I think about I think I'm at sixty sixty five milligrams, like total. And so they will take that and put it into a hundred cc's of saline, and it'll run on a okay. pump. And then it'll infuse. How long are you usually sitting there? Yeah. Um. It. I think it overall it takes roughly about forty five minutes. The whole thing okay. in itself is probably about an hour and a half, but the infusion part is about forty five minutes to an hour, and then you got about fifteen minutes of coming back to Earth. <laughs> sure. Um, sure. Yeah, I know. Um, I know ketamine. Well, my experience with ketamine is my dad's lung collapsed a number of years ago and he had a really bad trip because when you, I guess like sometimes you can go into what they call a K-hole with ketamine and then if they don't give you enough 
of like the alternate drug to bring you out of it, you can like remember your really bad trip. So my dad thought that he had died when I came into the hospital room and he thought that I was an angel. It was very scary. But I know also that some people use ketamine recreationally. So how do these dosages vary from like those two other examples are all that I know of ketamine. So <laughs> so I think uh, so with the infusions, it's it's a really, really small uh, dose as far as in the realm of the other two, because and I I'm I'm actually quite familiar with giving ketamine as well because mm-hmm. I used to give it as a paramedic to sedate people that I was going that I there right. were people that I was like hey this person is breathing really bad and I need to sedate them and paralyze them and then put a tube in them and then breathe for them so mm-hmm. and there's been instances where it's like hey like I need to do that so you sedate them with the ketamine and it's mm-hmm. A pretty, it's usually a pretty large, it's a much larger dose than what I was going, what I'm receiving. Okay. It's usually, you know, anywhere between 100 to, you could do even up to 300 milligrams. Oh, like, wow, yeah. overall, yeah. And I'm like, so I'm doing, and that's, I'm getting the, my 65 milligrams over 45 minutes mm-hmm. versus them getting, you know, 100 milligrams, 150 milligrams all at once. Yeah, definitely so it, in moderation. <laughs> right. So it's shock it's a shock to the system. And okay. then recreationally, I see I I've never <laughs> I've never even seen recreational, but I from my understanding of recreational, I think it is it's more that it's measured in the gram and they snort it. I think it's more of a oh gosh. Yeah. But it's like a club drug. I know that uh I was at a party once and there was a guy who was he, he looked like he was having a fucking blast like let me tell you but uh, I was like yeah like that that person is, is not sober fully there and I found out later that they were high on ketamine I don't go figure I have no idea how that would even <laughs> work like so, so whenever I do my infusions like they I'm on a cardiac monitor I'm on a okay. you know a pulse mm-hmm. ox that measures my oxygen levels, uh, blood pressure, and so sometimes like things can you know alarms go off and it's not necessarily it means like something bad's going on it just means like something needs to be attended to. Okay, so sure. like and the way that I do my infusions is I do deprivation. So I have noise canceling headphones that I play my own music through and I have my own mm-hmm. ke- ketamine jams is what I call it. My mix on uh, Spotify. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then I have a sleep mask that I also, and then I cover myself, my, my eyes up with a toboggan. So I like, there's okay. no light and just, I listen to my music and focus on my music. But sometimes, like, when they come in there and there's like, kind of a commotion, like, I'll pull. Like, I can pull my – I'm still conscious and alert and know where I'm at. Right. And, like, I'll open my eyes and look, and it, I feel like I'm melting, and I am i can't speak. And it's just – it would be a nightmare to, if I had to, to perform anything other than just lay there. Yeah. No, I can't. I can't imagine. Um, well, how, how long – when was your first infusion? Give me the timeline. Um. Uh, my first infusion, I think, was right at the end of September, early October, I think. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah. So you've been at it for like about half a year now. Well, I see. I, uh, well, so <laughs> I, uh, I got real focused on getting the, uh, the Ketami Foundation and, and really getting the word out. And I, you know, I was on Reddit. I was on, hadn't get it. To, hadn't got to Instagram yet, but I was on Twitter and a few other different platforms. I did a couple of podcasts back then, very early on. And uh, I didn't realize that my health savings account had ran out. So I, I was, <laughs> I was left without the ability to get a treatment and everything kind of started to unravel. Got it. <laughs> and that's when I had started to kind of get back into my, my art as a way to occupy my mind so I could have some sort of defense to keep the, the ever approaching intrusive thoughts from, from entering. Yep. <laughs> well, hmm. how would you say that your life has changed as a result of that? Oh, I mean, like what are the differences that you notice when you're, for, when you, you know, are on it, uh, when you're up to date with the infusions, when you're not up to date with the infusions? Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. The, amount of kind of effect the like the how how hold on I'm trying to think of the way I'm due for an infusion so it's starting to take in <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I didn't I didn't realize how intrusive and how overreaching my PTSD was and how greatly it affected my ability to function because what I was what I was functioning at prior to the ketamine to now I would say that I'm I'm functioning closer to you know 90% efficiency to prior to that about 45% efficiency. Hmm. Wow. Because there is this I just I I use it as mental I say mental clarity like like this this you know I have more capacity because there's it feels like this fog that clouds everything and makes thoughts hard to conceptualize and they and very very easily fleeting hmm. and i can i can that's the that's the first sign that i notice is of things kind of so. creeping back in um just my overall my drive is in my my motivation is another one that was greatly greatly improved with the ketamine so that's another that's another early sign that 
things are kind of dropping, starting to drop below therapeutic levels because like, okay. I'll, I know like I'll have, I have a list of, you know, so many different things to do and I'm just like, I don't want to do any of them. <laughs> like, nothing. Yeah. And then I start to get like more and more exhausted just through normal everyday things. And it's, it's just, it's a, it's a very, because it's, it's, it's strange because most people, when, you know, they, you say PTSD, they think of that as a mental condition. It's no, mm -hmm. it's, it's physical. It has mm. physical ramifications like on you and your well-being. Absolutely. And 100% like my anxiety is million, millions of times better than, than it was like, and that all of that, like all of these these small kind of improvements that were linked to my anxiety, my PTSD and stuff like that have directly related to the success that I have found now, hmm. which was born out of necessity to pay for my ketamine treatments. Yeah, it's funny how things come together when push comes to shove. Yeah, and most for the I would say for the majority of my life it was when push came to shove, I was the only one there to, you know, to make that whatever it whatever it needed to happen happen. Mm -hmm. And that I mean that's just what I did because I had started with my, my art, my digital art, which isn't anything I'm, I messed, I messed around with a little bit of digital art with my cell phone back when I had broken my legs. Mm -hmm. Um, but nothing to the scale that I'm, that I was doing now or that I was, even or with it, what I'm, you know, was doing back then either, because I, sure. I just started to create, you know, art and my friends, family, and started to kind of notice it. And I did a couple of pieces for you know different projects that some of my friends were working on, and then I posted some of it to a local subreddit, and that's when that's when I realized that there's something to it because. I I got my first offer ever for for somebody to buy my art like that night back in Wow. I want to say it had to be really really late January. So recently. Very very recently. Wow. And it it just it took off from there. I I started. I posted a couple of more pieces to a, an EMS related form, 
on our subreddit and it just that took off and it seemed like everywhere that I was starting to post my art it was just exploding and so I I made a plan to start you know making enough to get my ketamine treatments and at this point like I had no idea what the possibilities were sure I like I was like oh I can just draw pictures for people yes <laughs> this is nice <laughs> but it it just completely it took it and it's still taking every bit of my mental fortitude to just stay ahead of this and try to wrangle it like or like try to like sure. i feel like uh i'm wrestling cattle like you know I mean, I'm just, <laughs> come on you gotta get this idea to the to the pasture <laughs> <laughs> it takes but, a lot of work to pick oh, but it's been so unbelievably rewarding and has become far more successful than I would have ever imagined. Like I was like, man, if I could get two hundred bucks a month extra on this, that would be great. Yeah. And my, I was just going over some information. Like I, I'm constantly getting numbers and nerding out on everything and putting, trying to paint a, you know, a graph of my success because I, I don't know what I, I don't. I've never done this before, so I don't know. I don't have any context for success. I don't know sure. what what it means to be successful in this area because I've never this is new territory. So I'm trying to kind of build this roadmap for myself to see so I can I can see because right now everything's super abstract and I'm just like I don't know. Can we get some lines on a graph? <laughs> <laughs> but sorry. No, no. Um, but yeah, um, through my my Shopify store, they give you little little tidbits and Snapple facts about your about your metrics, and um, my store is in the top eleventh percent of stores that open the same week as my store for oh my overall traffic. Yeah, that is so cool. Um, it's almost like you, uh, it's almost like everything happened when it was supposed to so that the stars could align. Yes. Like you were taught what you needed to be taught by, you know, the universe or whatever, you know, higher power there, there you might believe in, you know, it, it, everything just kind of aligned. And it's, it's funny you should say that because I, I have been kind of pondering on that whole kind of idea as well that you know that my success was it, it was I wasn't ready for it I was not ready mentally I was not ready spiritually or you know universally whatever like I just my being was not ready to to exist in that capacity well what about um so I guess I have like two major questions. The first is kind of a shorter one, which is 
like what are the side effects of ketamine you know i mean we kind of covered on how it's used in different ways like are there any negative things uh is it possible is it addictive you know i I don't know anything about it really so um you know are there any downsides to these treatments i think medically there's no real correlation between addiction i think in the capacity that i am receiving it but anything I, i think anything can be addictive that you know, creates a euphoric feeling, but sure. I don't, I don't think so. And as far as overall negatives, there's nothing that I have perceived as a negative, but there are things. So the way that, the way that ketamine has been working for me, it's not that it just makes all the bad stuff go away. Mm-hmm. It's all still there, but all of its potency has been taken away, which will allow you to kind of pull those out, those memories out piece by piece and sort through them and deal with them. Mm, okay. So but you need it, your buddy it, to like do the work. Yeah. yeah there's going to, there's work that has to be done with it. It can't, you know, it's not just an infusion that you get. You have to, you have to use that, that new kind of mental clarity to start decluttering sure. all of that, all of the, all of the things that you've been holding on to or that have been holding on to you, you got to start. And then, but those like, that's just like, that's just the, the little part. That's not the hard part. The hard part is, is when you uncover those huge, nasty, gross truths about yourself that you don't want to believe, or you don't want to accept, you know, you don't want to be the reason for your own failure or the, you don't want to be the catalyst for everything that's gone wrong in your life, right? So you build right. this ego up about yourself to kind of kind of pamper reality a little bit. But once you get down down to it, like that's those are the those are the things that you've got to accept and you have yeah. to because once you accept those, there's there's nothing holding you back. You don't have those those nagging regrets and then it leads to you being able to to figure out how you work and to use your so-called flaws to your advantage or at okay. least to be able to identify them and correct them before they become an issue so you you know yourself way more intimately and I think that is something that a lot of people might struggle with or might have an issue with is is getting to that point to be able to to really accept who you are and what you've been through and allowing that to make up your idea of who you are. And seeing that is, is I think it's really hard for people. Yeah, no, I can, I can see that. Well, it's, I guess that's a good uh, piece of advice to, you know, for people who might be listening that this isn't the right path if you're not ready to, you know, kind of dig in and get messy. Yeah, it's. Yeah, it's not an easy fix, not a Band-Aid. <laughs> I, I just, I, if you 
I suggest it. I think that I know that if it was, I was terrified at, mm-hmm. before this because I didn't know. Because my idea, I was like, what if they take my anxiety away? Then what am I going to feel? Mm, <laughs> you know? I want to be numb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, well, I mean, am I just going to like be the guy? Like, I'm just, I got anxiety about not having anxiety, which is <laughs> ridiculous. But uh, I know the feeling well. But yes, I think that that would be one of the number one things that I would want somebody to know going it before mm-hmm. going into it. Yeah, be prepared. Um, be prepared to for things to get a little messy before they. Well, yeah, it just sounds like it kind of creates this clarity and um, that clarity makes it easier to, I think you use the word like declutter yeah, um, and kind of put things where they need to go so that you can understand them and work on them more. Um, well, how, how has like your relationship with yourself and your relationship with others changed as a result of this transformation, you know? So... I'm going to lead in from the the hard truth and say that one of my hard truths was that I I was not allowing I was getting angry that nobody was, you know, understanding me. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't giving them the opportunity to. I was not revealing what I wanted them to understand like I had perceived I was because after the ketamine like and it was like I could just it was like like a like a photo book I could just skim through my memories and look and be like oh man yeah I was totally fucked up right there like I was totally (laughs) wrong like why was I like that like and it's and that's that's kind of what leads to the the self-discoveries because you start to look back on your on your past memories and you're like what the why was i doing this like why and then so you and then it kind of drives you to to look deeper into yourself and that's that's what it did and i you know i just found out that i was harboring a lot of pain and resentment from my childhood based off of my relationship with my father that i was using as a lens to view the world in Okay. So everybody that I interacted with automatically started in a deficit with me. Hmm. Interesting. Which then very led... interesting. Yeah, it it's and it's it's one of those things that with the ketamine you start to have these these revelations and you can't stop them and they they, it's just and i don't it's just a lead of thought or from it's just a process of thoughts that lead into this much bigger like dropping of like something about you that may be uncomfortable sure do you feel like you're talking about all of this, you know, so openly and freely with a lot of vulnerability, which 
for me is incredibly refreshing. Um, you know, maybe that sounds sexist or whatever, but uh, you know, it's it's rare that you know we don't know each other, and it's rare that you meet somebody and you're able to just kind of say off the bat, "This is who I am. This is what I'm dealing with." Like, here you go. Uh, is that new too? Have you always kind of been like that? Did it get like more expressed through the infusions or is it something like totally new to you? Well, see, uh, so I've always been a very outwardly open and kind of eccentric person. Like I've always been very high energy, outgoing, but most of that was just a facade. Like most of that was me creating an ego about myself to protect myself from actually experiencing the world. So as far as being open and being, you know, myself, I felt that I was always being, I was always that. But now I'm that, but just more myself. Like it's not just me trying to create some sort of image of myself to keep people at a distance. It was now it's the exact opposite. I've turned, I've turned it into a way to, to try to draw people in. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was one of the things that mentally it was, I could turn it on and off. It was one of those kind of almost, it felt like an alter ego, so to speak, whenever I had to, you know, be publicly engaging. But now it's it is a lot different because I am sharing my experiences and my stories and and being sort of this kind of beacon of hey, it's okay, talk about it. Mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know what how else to kind of describe it. I just I think that a lot of a lot of people are they probably want to talk about it. They probably like I think that there are a lot of people out there that could see, you know, me talking about and being open and be like, man, I could do that. I could, you know, I want to do that. So it's I don't very courageous. It's hard though. See, that's the thing. Like I don't it doesn't feel it doesn't feel hard at all. I've and but it's not I've been I've been doing um, a lot of personal sharing over the past six months so it's I think maybe it's it's gotten a lot easier for me now (laughs) but this would be never this would never be something that would have been been able to been discussed sure no absolutely I think that when you make a habit of oversharing i've always been a huge oversharer I, oh I'll yes somebody absolutely. And, I'll, and i'll be like this is who i am want to hear about my traumas <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe 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 not like it depends on where i'm at probably if i'm going to come out the gate with all with that that soon but I, i'm very willing to to be vulnerable and to talk about you know i don't want to do small talk or talk about the weather i want to talk about the universe and yeah uh vulnerability and, and the, the deeper things um but there are some people who that doesn't feel safe which is weird to me and weird to you, but uh, I think a lot of the world operates in a place where that doesn't feel safe. 
Yeah, and that that makes me really sad. Yeah. Because I think more people should enjoy life and explore their curiosities and try to understand a little bit more about themselves. Mm-hmm. I think with that, I think if we as individuals worked a little bit better at maintaining <laughs> if we work better at maintaining our own lawns that we'd see that everything isn't as bad as what it might seem but i think that i think that is what leads to i think people's fears of themselves and those hard truths are what compels them to try to muddle in other people's kind of existences and say that, well, I don't think that's right. And rather mm-hmm. than exploring why they don't think that's right, they, they just project that fear and insecurity outward and create an ego about it. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's a lot to, to learn from that. Yes. Well, if you um, were to, from your experiences, you know, your experiences as a kid uh, through to, you know, the, the PTSD that you went through as an EMS uh, to your accident to, you know, these ketamine infusions, this new career path. Like, <laughs> if there's like one thing that you, I mean, and all of us have a beautiful journey, right? Like, I just oh outlined God. yours. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a lot. But <laughs> if you, what's the, what's like the one thing you would want people to know that's like the biggest thing that you've learned that you would want to share with other people? The, the biggest thing that I think I've learned is, is to be easier on yourself and to be easier on others because we are all we're all in the same boat but we're not all weathering the same storm mm-hmm. and you would be uh you'd be surprised at how much an insignificant gesture of kindness goes like how long how far that would go to make somebody's day better so right. Just be more mindful and considerate and understand that we're all in this together and it's better to, I don't know, just, just be, don't be an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Great advice. Yeah. Well, uh, Rick, where can, I mean, if people want to see your art, where can they find you? Uh, You can find me at 5011 underscore media on instagram that's primarily where i dwell okay awesome um, and then uh, i'm sure i'm sure your shopify is linked on there too and everything uh yeah shopify is, you can find the shopify link for my stuff in my bio on instagram i'm working on a website i have it it's 5011media.com but it is not together because i <laughs> have so much other stuff going on it's just it's no, on the I get list it. <laughs> um i get it but yeah, um, if you want to follow me, I post a lot of my art. I do live stream videos where I talk about my, I tell more in-depth stories about kind of what I've experienced, more um, kind of specific um, stories, kind of things that I've had to deal with while, you know, trying to create my own business 
it's just I'm trying to add as much value and be as mm-hmm. um, available as possible for anybody that might be interested in my story or just checking out what I'm about. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your vulnerability and for sharing your story. Um, I'm going to you know, link some uh, maybe articles in the episode notes about uh, ketamine infusions that people who don't know much about it uh, can learn even more about it. And yeah, thank you so much for sharing. I really appreciate it. And I know that our listeners will too. Awesome. Uh, that's great. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to kind of tell my story and to just be vulnerable. And it, it just means a lot. Thank you. You're very welcome. And everybody, thank you for listening. This has been Wine Dine in 69. I am your host, Rachel Dalton, and let's keep talking. Thank you.